Coming up, the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't about to go out of this postseason quietly. Will their last-minute win be the catalyst to get them back to New York tied at two? We have a series in the NBA Finals as the Warriors rebounded from a fourth-quarter Game 1 barrage by the Celtics with a blowout win last night. How will the series fare as it shifts to Boston on Wednesday night? So much for the Angels' good start as they've hit a free fall in the past week and a half. Is Joe Madden on the hot seat, similar to Joe Girardi's dismissal in Philadelphia? Quite a few retirements in the NFL this past week that I'll get to, and an anticlimactic end to the French Open led by Rafael Nadal's 14th Open win. Kicking off another week with a huge podcast to fill your sports appetite. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc., All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please, throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's feeling well, doing fantastic, in excellent spirits, as I'm revved up and ready to go, as I'm in a bit of a feisty mood to start. So fasten your seatbelts as we take this trip through the sports universe together, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, whether going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Interesting podcast here today, a lot to get into, especially with the baseball. Finally, there's been a few storylines and angles that I can approach when it comes to the Anaheim Angels. Remember, we talked about the pretenders and contenders over the last couple of weeks, and boy, are the Angels a pretender like we've never seen as they're in a complete freefall, and it looks like they're going to be not heard from for the rest of this year. Not only that, between them, don't look fast, but the Atlanta Braves are on the charge. Yes, Mets fans, I understand that after a good weekend in LA, especially on the back end, Now we may have to worry about the Braves kicking it into second and third gear. So all the baseball to get to, a thud of a weekend out in Roland Garros for the French Open. That I'll touch on later in the podcast, as well as what's going on in the NFL. A lot of retirements that have taken place over the past week. Alex Mack, Stefan Tuitt for the Steeler fan out there. And a couple of more, which I'll touch on in the podcast later. Of course, the basketball, I'm going to get to that second. I'm going to start off with a different angle. I feel like I've 
kicked off the podcast over the last few weeks with the Celtics. So I'm going to put that on ice for the moment. But that's one of the reasons why I'm a little bit feisty this morning based on what took place last night in Game 2. So I'll put that on hold for now. But I want to start off with the Stanley Cup playoffs with the Eastern Conference Finals as it is right now. Because out West, and I guess maybe I could put that one to rest, but I'll hold off on that. I want to start off with the Rangers and Tampa Bay. Because now we're at a point in the series where the Lightning have gotten themselves back into the series. Still down 2-1 to one, with a Game 4 in their building tomorrow night. But with the way that game ended, and if you're a Ranger fan, as you're going into the third period, you're up 2-1. Yes, they were able to get a power play goal by Steven Stamkos there early on in the third, but I'm sure the Ranger fan was thinking at that point, even before the start of the third, that if we could just get this game, knowing that very few teams in the history of the National Hockey League come back from a 3-0 series deficit. And although it's happened in recent memory, we think back to the Bruins and Flyers about 10, 11 years ago, when the Flyers had trailed 3-0 and then the Flyers came storming back to win that series for love. You also had the LA Kings in their second cup run back in 2014. They were down 0-3 to the San Jose Sharks in the first round, I believe. And they came back to win four straight. So it has happened in the NHL as much as in baseball with the Yankees and Red Sox going way back to the 2004 playoff season. And then in the NBA, it's never happened. So... There may have been some hope, even with the Ranger fans, to think that if they were up 3-0, they were pretty much going to put the Lightning away. And now you have a scenario where Andre Palat scored that goal with 42 seconds left, breathed some life not only into the team, but also into the building, because the Rangers, going back to Game 1, when the game was tied 2-up, they have been by far the better team in the series. There's no question about it. And before I get back to Friday's game, yesterday was just one of those moments where because of how that game ended, they got to Shesterkin there in that final second. We know he's been phenomenal throughout this postseason. And we can't even say that you have to wonder what's going on between his ears because they still have a 2-1 series lead. He was able to bounce back in that first round against the Penguins where he got pulled in games 3 and 4 on the road in Pittsburgh. But now you got to wonder... Not necessarily from the Rangers' side as far as doubt creeping in, because they're still in good shape. But maybe this is the point where the sleeping giant has finally awoken. Now, still remains to be seen. We have to see how tomorrow night plays out. But you would think that the Lightning, who have been outplayed by far in the series, knowing that they've been resuscitated, that they're at a point where maybe this will be the catalyst to jumpstart them, not only to get back in the series, to bring it back to New York come Thursday, even at 2, but maybe, somehow, some way, that this will be able to push them ahead to maybe even, not only just getting the equalizer in the series, but maybe even taking control of the series. Now, as we know, Andre Vasilevsky's going to have to stand on his head if that's the case, and we've seen that before from him, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But you have to think that the Lightning will be charging right out of the gate come tomorrow night. They're going to have to not necessarily play from in front because we've seen them play from behind quite a bit in the series. And yesterday they were able to get themselves in the win column in the worst way that they needed it. So my question is, does this get them back into the series to the point where they'll even in a two 
coming back to New York. Something tells me I don't think that's going to be the case. I would almost think that as much as they could breathe a sigh of relief that they're able to get that victory and momentum, of course, could carry them into game four, knowing that they got a last second victory. It didn't have to go into overtime. And even if it did go into overtime, I'm sure there still would have been that sigh of relief. But here's the thing that I would point to that would be alarming if I feel and think that the series is going to have that seismic shift. Is if they come out not only fast and furious out of the gate in game four, but that they have a rocking chair 5-1 type of game. Because like I said just a minute ago, they have not played well in the series. And granted, we could talk about the long layoff that they have. That's no longer a part of this equation. They're now three games into the series, and they've looked anything like a two-time defending champion. But now they have a second chance here with the way that game ended, and who knows what that's going to be like as far as how it translates going into that game tomorrow night because they could win another nail-biter. They could win a close game. It could be tooth and nail. Rangers could even be the better team, but maybe the right bounce. An enormous save by Vasilevsky. And they could come away with another 3-2 or 2-1 or even a 4-3 victory where the series is even. But in order for me to really believe, and again, this is coming from a team that's won 10 straight playoff series and obviously the back-to-back cups that we've talked about here seems like forever. But until they have that game where they play 60 solid minutes, that they do not give the Rangers even a slimmer of hope. Not even a sliver of daylight. Like I said, that 5-1 type game, that 6-2 game that you saw in game one that the Rangers performed, and granted it was 2-2 there midway through the second period in game one. But in order for me to really believe that Tampa's going to be back in the series, and I get it, style points don't matter, they can have an ugly 2-1 win, and the series is even, but would you be confident if you're either a Ranger hater or the biggest Lightning fan going, that even if they were to win a nail-biter, a close game, an ugly game, would you be confident moving forward? Me personally, I wouldn't. I would think not only just with the home ice, but with the Rangers just playing obviously a lot better than the way Tampa has played so far, until I see otherwise, until I see them go out and have a 2-0 lead in the first period and pretty much take control from the start, to come out with that rocking chair type of game, I'm going to think that this is the Rangers series to lose. Unless they show me different come tomorrow night to where they do even the series at two, they do have that dominant win where Vasilevsky has, let's say, 36 saves, and Nikita Kucherov, who's had a good series to date, Steven Stamkos with a couple of goals so far this series, to where they just blitz the Rangers. Until I see that, I think the Rangers are going to win this series. doesn't matter whether it's in 5, 6, or 7. And who knows? By me saying that, watch them come out and have that type of win and then get to the Garden there Thursday night and next thing you know, it's in the third period and they're up 3-1. And then you have to say to yourself, oh, geez, how did I underestimate the heart of this champion that we can never take for granted or never look at to think that, ah, they're done, ah, they're toast, Oh, they're not going to come back in the series. We shall see. And that's what's going to be fascinating about the game tomorrow night because in order for me to believe whether or not they're going to 
put it in high gear. So as I said before, and one last time, until I see that, whoa, type of game where, yes, this was the Tampa Bay Lightning that we've seen here throughout the past two postseasons, and maybe in the second round against Florida, until I see that, I'm not going to believe that the Lightning are going to come out of this round victorious and move on to a cup final. Because they have not played well in the series. And luckily they got the game yesterday. Because I think if it would have gone to overtime, I thought the Rangers would have won. And then in the other series, Colorado has just put a stranglehold on Edmonton, especially after game one. They had the 4-0 shutout to where Pavel Francou, he took over for Darcy Kemper, who's been out with an injury. And on his, or really on the eve of his 32nd birthday, he was able to not only pitch a shutout, but his team had three goals there in the second period, capped off by Nathan McKinnon's goal in the third, and they went 4 nothing. So you're thinking, all right, they're going back to Edmonton after the shootout there in game one. Let's see if Edmonton bounces back. Home ice, you would think they would. And unfortunately for the Oilers and their fans, that wasn't the case. JT Comfer, he was the guy that got the big goal in the Blue Series in Game 6 to tie the game before those last-second heroics by one Darren Helm. Here in Game 3, JT Confer at the game tied at two after Ryan McLeod had a goal there almost at the midway point of the third period and you figure all the momentum was on the Oilers' side. And then Confer comes in with the go-ahead goal and then they tack on an empty netter to ice the game with 30 seconds left. And the Avalanche, one win away from a Stanley Cup final, be the first time since the 2001 season when they beat the Devils 21 years. And I'm sure all of Colorado is going to be at the edge of their seat knowing that if they do get the victory tonight and sweep the Oilers out of the postseason, a lot of their recent playoff failures and demons will be exercised. Now, they got to win the whole thing, but if they were to get the sweep tonight, they'll be able to put their feet up, rest up. I don't know if that'll be a bonus. I get it. You've played three rounds and you'd be more than happy to get a sweep so you could regroup, maybe get some health back into your team. We know that Nas Kadri got hit by Evander Kane, who's going to be out for game four tonight. So who knows if we're going to see him. Definitely not for the remainder of this series, as said by their coach, Jared Bednar. But maybe throughout the rest of the postseason, because you figure he's going to be in concussion protocol. And Evander Kane, they're going to lose a key piece there as he's going to be out for game four. Because of that hit, he's going to be suspended. So Edmonton is certainly behind the eight ball at this moment, and knowing that their season could pretty much go up in flames, no pun intended considering the team that they beat in the previous series, but right now Colorado is clicking on all cylinders. They're winning big, they're winning small, they're winning in between. And they're doing this with a backup goalie in the process. So we shall see, and it's interesting because when we look at this Series, and we look at this round overall. Thankfully, you had the Lightning win yesterday because in the first round, we had five game sevens. Need I say more? Second round, you had the one game seven. It was with the Rangers in Carolina, but that game was 
pretty much a dud because the Rangers were in control of that game and Carolina couldn't score to save their lives. And now here you are in a conference final where if it wasn't for Andre Palat's heroics there late and who knows how that game would have turned out, but let's say if the Rangers would have won, you would have had two sweeps on the verge going into probably a week off to where the Stanley Cup final would have started a week from probably, I got to even check the calendar, I didn't do my homework on that front to see where the Stanley Cup Finals will begin. But you would have had a week of inactivity if you had both teams going into a Game 4, up 3 love, in their respective series. And at least for one, we're going to have minimum five games, and let's see if the Oilers save face and show a little pride tonight to at least get the series back to Colorado to where maybe the coronation will take place and the Western Conference will be owned by the Avalanche at that time. So not a lot of drama, not a lot of intrigue here in this Eastern and Western Conference Final, but we'll see what takes place here tonight in Edmonton and then obviously a game four tomorrow in Tampa. All right, so now as I strip myself of the hockey equipment and put on the shorts and lace up the high tops, two games into this NBA Final and... The only way I could put these two games, especially when we look at one quarter in particular, the third quarters of these games, if you're a Celtic fan, is going to have you concerned as we shift the scene from San Francisco to Boston come Wednesday night. And I'll get to both games, but if they do not tidy up what's going on in these third quarters to where they've been outscored exponentially, who knows what's going to happen there, especially with the coach, Ime Udoka, and his ball club, because the display that we've seen from the Celtics there in both of these games have been atrocious. I'll go back to game one, because as bad as they were in that third quarter, and even when you think about it, Jason Tatum, who had an awful game, and who would have thought that you would have had Al Horford step up the way he did with the six three-pointers that he made? Of course... Derek White, who had a phenomenal game as well, to where he was riding the hot hand, meaning Adoka, to where he had him and Peyton Pritchard perform in the backcourt to where Marcus Smart pretty much sat the whole fourth quarter until he brought him in with about three minutes and change to go. But even with the Celtics leading at the half and the Warriors taking control of that third quarter to where they scored 38 points and led by as many as 15 Down by 12, heading into the fourth quarter, where Jalen Brown started the rally. He got five straight points right off the bat to start off the fourth, and then he had the alley-oop to Robert Williams, where they had that little 7-0 run, and they got back into the game, cut it to five, and then they were just lights out from behind the arc and pretty much took over control of the game to where the 38 points they gave up in the third quarter, they only gave up 16, and in the process, they scored 40. 9 of 12 from 3. The contributions, like I mentioned, from Al Horford, Derek White. Again, Jason Tatum was invisible in the game. Did not perform well. He shot 3 for 17. But he did have 13 assists. So he was able to facilitate. So on a night where he was off, at least he was able to contribute. And the Celtics then go away with a 120-108 to game. And I couldn't believe my eyes. Now, you have to look at a game like that. And say to yourself, the Celtics are not going to shoot the way they did 
not only just in that game, but in that quarter, you're probably not going to see it for the rest of the series. Think about it. They made 21 three-pointers, and the Warriors made 19. But they were able to clamp down on defense in that fourth quarter, and as we saw, just the exploits of their shooting, 15 for 22 from the quarter, and as I mentioned, 9 for 12 for three, and they went going away. And I knew that going into the game last night, you knew the Warriors were going to make adjustments. You knew they were going to recalibrate to say there's no way that they're A, going to shoot like that again, at least you don't think. But even more so to put the attention on their defense as they were unable to get to the arc. They were unable to get to the perimeter to contest a lot of those three-pointers. And what you saw there yesterday, even though Jalen Brown came out of the gate with nine points in the first few minutes of the game, he had 13 in the quarter, but was pretty much silent throughout. Jason Tatum came out like gangbusters, scoring 21 points in the first half. Ended up with 28, but a quiet 28 overall. Now they trailed by two, and the one constant that you saw there in the first half, and I'm sure it was aggravating the Celtic fan to no end, was Draymond Green. Draymond was acting like the poor man, Dennis Rodman, that he is. You could even say maybe borderline homeless, but I'll give him a little bit more respect than that. Okay? We know Draymond is a very good, intangible player. We know what he brings to that team. He doesn't have to do much offensively, but of course it's the defense, tenacity, the rebounding, and just the leadership overall. And you saw that there yesterday as he was engaged, not only with Jalen Brown, who I thought he should have got a technical there and should have been thrown out of the game. Let's call it as we see it. And this is not me breaking out the green and white pom-poms because when he landed on Jalen Brown and he had his legs all on top of him and then it was slight, but then as Brown's getting up as he's trying to push his legs out from under him and then Draymond gives him that little push, that was unnecessary. And then, of course, they got up. They started jawing at one another. He deserved the technical there. Because I'm sure if that was somebody else, if that was Grant Williams, and that could have been double technicals. Because even for Jalen Brown, I get it that he's the one that Green fell on top of, and he was frustrated and aggravated at that point. But Green should have been tossed from the game. And him getting the face of even Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, he was just being a pest. And maybe that got into the Celtics a little bit in their heads. Although it was a two-point game at the half where the Warriors were up Second time in these two games that, whether the Celtics in game one, 56-54, and then yesterday, 52-50. So now we get to that third quarter. And all I could say is that the defense of the Warriors stepped up. The Celtics couldn't throw the ball in the ocean off of a life raft. Forget about a boat. A life raft. Missing layups left and right. And I get it that the Warriors are missing putbacks pretty much in the first half as well. But they couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. They were just awful. And the crazy thing is, is that up until that point, Klay Thompson gave you nothing in the game. Jordan Poole was awful until the end of the third quarter when he had that miracle three-point shot when he pretty much was on flat-footed. And that was the moment where you knew the game was going to be over because that's when it pushed it to, I believe, was a 24 at that point, maybe even 27 off the top of my head. At that point, it was just a blur. The Warriors had their way with the Celtics again in the third quarter. 35-14 to outscoring them in a 107-88 game. And it was interesting too because into the fourth quarter, 
the Celtics would just turn the ball over left and right, and they've been sloppy with the ball throughout the whole postseason. In particular, now, the previous series against Miami, as we saw left and right, and then yesterday, just inexcusable, undisciplined, sloppy, turning the ball over as if it's Halloween. And even early on in that fourth quarter, I believe Al Horford was bringing the ball up, and he gets stripped, and why is Horford bringing up the ball? And I get it, he can handle the ball for a big man, but at that point, that's when Udoka called the dogs off because I believe there was 10-13 left on the clock. And now you see Aaron Neesmith in the game. You see Peyton Pritchard in the game. Daniel Tice. And it made you think, wait a second. Is he really giving up on this game? Now granted, the game was over. I get it. But still, 10 minutes, 13 seconds to go. There's still a whole quarter. But then as it started to sink in, I thought to myself, he was sending a message to his team. It had to be. And I watched most of the post game because I was interested to hear what he had to say. And of course, NBA TV cut him off and even ESPN. Because what I like to have had answered was you had Brown, Tatum, Horford, everybody sit on the bench for the last 10 minutes of the game. What's the reason why? And I'm sure Udoka, he probably would have taken the high road. He just probably thought the game was over. I'm sure it wasn't going to be him trying to send a message or tell the guys this is your lesson for playing as terrible as you have, not only just in the third quarter, but just overall. And who knows? Maybe they'll be able to regroup. Maybe this is something that's going to stew with them on the flight back, as I'm sure they're back in Boston right now. But just a putrid performance. They got to clean it up in so many different ways. And now we have a series. And just like I mentioned on Thursday, you figured it was going to be 1-1. That's what the sports fan and the NBA fan has as we look forward to games three and four in Boston. And me, as I look at this series, and of course, we'll talk about game three on Thursday. First thing, right out of the gate. Not only with the Celtics having to clean up their mess, but you wonder if the Warriors now are going to be in sync to the point where, yes, they have to take their show on the road, but we know with Steph, now Draymond getting involved in the series, Klay Thompson, I don't know if he's going to get on track, but you know he's always going to have that one game like we saw in the last series against Dallas, even before that against Memphis. So it's not out of the possibility that Klay could have one of those 8-for-14 from three 30-point games. But if Jordan Poole's now arisen, you got a little contribution from Gary Payton, the second who came back from in the lineup after missing all those games with the elbow injury that he suffered in the Memphis series. So the complexion of this series now is taking a little bit of a turn. Not just based on what happened last night with the usual cast of characters, but now you have to wonder, will Peyton make a contribution in this series? Andrew Wiggins, who was quiet in the game yesterday, but you know he's going to be probably heard from, not necessarily on the offensive end, but let's see what he does defensively as he performed well in game one against Jason Tatum. You would think that there's going to be a split here. I predicted that. And as I said on Thursday, the Celtics are going to need another win in San Francisco. My thing is is that you want to do it early. Obviously, they got the one win out of the way in game one. But now, if it does go back 2-2, and I think that's going to be the case, do they win in game five? And game five will be a week from today. So we shall see how this is all going to shape up here. Now that we have a series... You have some interesting storylines now going back to Boston. 
you can't even look at the Celtic home court because based on what we saw in the Bucks series in Game 5, as well as the Miami series in Game 6, it's not an automatic that they're going to come away, even if they do win Game 3 in convincing fashion, you can't automatically say that, oh, now all the momentum's on their side, they're going to steal Game 4, or they're going to be the heavy favorites. Uh-uh. Because we know Steph Curry, and he's been very good. He had the hot first half in Game 1, where really the first quarter where he had the six threes, 21 points, and then was quiet pretty much throughout. And then yesterday, started off a little slow. He got it got going on early, but then there was that middle part to where he shot two for eight from three, but then he ended up, what, five for 11, and he made his final few threes before he exited early in the fourth quarter. Let's see. Hopefully we'll have a long series. And hopefully we'll have a competitive series. Obviously game one was competitive, even though it got out of hand there in the middle of that third quarter. But because of the torrid shooting by the Celtics in the fourth, they were able to come away with a victory. And then another runaway third quarter by the Warriors. But they did not look back. And the Celtics now have a bunch of questions to be answered as far as their ball handling, turnovers, and just being able to bounce back from just a bad game there last night. And for those putting up the graphic as far as Al Horford, Derek White, and even Marcus Smart, who was awful yesterday. I mean, what more can you say? And Draymond, of course, got in Marcus Smart's face. But you would think they're going to rebound here in Game 3. And not that you expected Horford to have anything close to what he had there in Game 1. Because despite him having some brilliance there in the Milwaukee series, but Horford's not a guy that's going to average 16 to 18 a game. Horford's going to be a guy that's going to be in the low single digits. Maybe he'll crack double digits. But once in a while, I'll have that game like he had there on Thursday night. But I get it. That's part of the story between what they did in games one and games two. But again, I wasn't expecting much out of Horford. And that's not being an apologist. That's just being the truth. That's just saying it as we've seen throughout the course of this postseason. And Derek White was okay yesterday. Obviously didn't replicate what he did in game one. And then Smart was just... (laughs) He was just out to lunch. And he's banged up and... Obviously, he took a charge there late, which was a blocking foul, and he came up lame. And let's see, they had the extra day as we head into game three, so I know it's going to help them. Robert Williams, we've got to see what his health is like as he got his leg landed on by Marcus Smart. So, a lot of basketball to be played, but we have a series. And one other thing in the NBA, which was, I guess, a bit of a surprise, even though a lot, if you read the tea leaves in Utah regarding the head coach, Quinn Snyder, A lot of people thought he wasn't going to be back considering how they underachieved this year and did not play well. But the big story, not only was him stepping down as coach, feeling as if the team needed to hear another voice, he still had two years left on his contract. And even though the front office tried to convince him to stay and even offered him a contract extension, but he felt as if, uh uh-uh, time to move onward. He felt a new and fresh voice needed to be heard. But Donovan Mitchell's comments, not only being surprised and disappointed, but also unnerved by him resigning, is one you have to really take the temperature of if you're the owners of the Utah Jazz because Mitchell even admitted that one of the reasons why he signed his long-term extension, I believe he got a max deal, was because of the coach. And now that Snyder's out, you wonder if there's going to be any type of I won't go as far as saying hostility, but maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect there that the front office is going to have to sit down with him to say, and maybe even get some input, dare I say. And Mitchell, we all know, 
Very good player. You want to call him your franchise player? I guess he's earned that right and that respect. But you would think Utah, with how things have gone down the last couple of years, and they had a very good regular season, even going back to last year, but that imploded on them as they did not go far in the tournament. But maybe that's one thing that we'll have to keep an eye on to see not only who the next coach is going to be, whether it's somebody from the staff, an assistant coach, or are they going to go get somebody from outside the organization that's going to be to Donovan Mitchell's liking. That will have to wait and see. But interesting story that came out of Utah, not only regarding the coach, but also their star player. So something to keep an eye on there. All right, so now let's exchange my high tops for some cleats, batting clubs, and get in the batter's box to talk some baseball. And there's a lot to get into here because just over the past week and really over the last few days, a lot has transpired. And like I mentioned over the last couple of weeks, in particular last Monday, Memorial Day, being the first juncture of the season where we could kind of take a lay of the land when it comes to Major League Baseball with the whole teams that look like they're going to be strong contenders and the other teams that may be pretenders. Well, boy, do we have a pretender and one that we could almost scratch off the list at this point, which is sad to say because the Anaheim Angels, and I call them Anaheim, I know they're the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, but please. The Angels, you talk about taking a right turn to nowhere. This time last week, they came off of a four-game sweep by the Toronto Blue Jays at home. On top of that, they lost the final game of a series to the Texas Rangers. And they had an East Coast trip to where they came to the Bronx to play the Yankees. They got swept in that series, albeit a rainout on Wednesday. And then they had a day-night doubleheader to where... They were not only swept out of the Bronx, but out of the area, down the turnpike and into Philadelphia. And funny enough, because we talked about how the Phillies being one of those teams that, with the big payroll and with their personnel, that even though they look like they may not be a team that's going to make noise this year, but we may have to buy them a little bit more time because of their talent that they could possibly get themselves back into a wild card mix. And sure enough, they fired Joe Girardi, which was to no surprise. Remember, they got swept the week before in New York by the Mets, and they were just falling fast in the NL East to where Girardi gets jettisoned. They take the bench coach, Rob Thompson, and make him the, I believe he's the interim now, but he could be your manager for the rest of the year. And then all that happens there is that the Phillies start off with a three-game winning streak as the Angels come to town which was punctuated by a game yesterday in which the Angels had a 6-2 lead in the bottom of the eighth. Bases loaded, two outs, 3-2 count to Bryce Harper. What does he do? He hits it into the second deck. Ties the game at six. Then the Angels get a run in the top of the ninth and then only to spit it up in the bottom of the ninth where Bryson Stott hits a three-run homer. They send the Angels packing back to the West Coast with an 11-game losing streak and have lost 15 of 18 overall. They are currently 27-28 and 28 in the AL West, 9 in the loss, 8.5 back from the Astros. So you could pretty much put them the pasture out right now because if Joe Girardi was walking the plank and fell off, then Joe Madden is not too far behind. And Girardi, who had 
become a lame duck as he was in the last year of his contract, which I believe is the same status for the aforementioned Madden. If you're Artie Moreno and knowing that your team got off to this great start and you are hanging a little tight with the Astros there the first month and a half of the season and then now the last week and a half, two weeks, has been a free fall that we haven't seen in quite some time. And you can forget about it. I don't think the Angels are going to be heard from. Sad to say. And when we looked at the American League even last week, we figured there were going to be seven teams in the mix when it comes to the postseason. Now granted, we still have four more months to get there. But with the Angels pretty much being that team where Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, you want to throw in the Red Sox because now they're at 500. And to me, last week, the Red Sox were a fringe team. But I picked Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, and I gave Minnesota and even the White Sox. And the White Sox, they have not been able to get on track. They're now in third place in the Central. But then I said Houston and LA, those are your seven teams that you could pretty much take a serious look when we get into the summer and deep into the dog days of August to where those are going to be the teams that were going to compete for playoff spots in the American League, we could say goodbye to the Angels right now. I think you could safely say that because the Angels have given you no indication. Now, granted, they're going to snap out of the streak, you would think, relatively soon. Who knows if Madden gets fired here over the course of this recording or maybe throughout this week. Who knows? Now, Madden, of course, has a connection with the team going way back to the Mike Socia days. I get that. But with all the money that's invested into this team and with the way it's going at this moment, maybe it changes in order there for the Angels. And on the flip side of that, to turn to the National League real quick, even with the Phillies' little three-game winning streak, actually they've won four in a row now, I take that back, although they did sweep the Angels for three over the weekend. But now you have to wonder whether or not the Braves have gotten their season on track because they're now winners of five straight, They have played better, played well. They've cut into that east lead of the Mets by two games where the Mets, and I'll get to them in a minute, but now you got to wonder whether or not the Braves are going to put it into second and third gear to where they start to inch closer in the division. And mind you, the Braves and the Mets have only played three times so far. Maybe four because they had that day night. Yeah, they played four times because they did have that split there in the middle part of last month. But they have not made one trip to Atlanta as of this moment. And here we are, it's June 6th. So they have 15 more games to play Mets and Braves. So that's something you have to keep an eye on. But now with the Braves, a game over 500, and you would think that whatever World Series hangover has now been cured. So they've had their tons of water and aspirin and got a little food in their system. Now they're going to get themselves back in contention here, not only for a wild card, but maybe even for a division. Like I mentioned with all those aforementioned games that they have with the Mets upcoming. So that's another thing we're going to have to pay attention to, not only just for the Mets fan, but obviously for the baseball fan, knowing that the Braves could be on the move. And we'll see if the Phillies, with the new manager, if this does anything for them, and so far so good here after a weekend in Philadelphia. Other than that, the Brewers had a tough weekend. They lost three out of four, including the back three to the Padres. So the Brewers are scuffling a little bit to where the Cardinals are just a half game back, but even in the loss, Cardinals won three out of four in Wrigley over the weekend. So that's a race now. It's gotten a little bit closer. So we'll keep our eyes on that. 
Dodgers, they won the first two games of the series against the Mets, and the Mets, I tell you, yesterday, it was a Houdini act. Interesting move by Buck yesterday, where he brought Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning, and mind you, when I was watching, I was at my in-laws, they had the sound down, so the first thing I thought when they brought in Diaz, I said, wait a minute, he's bringing him in for a six-out save? Because he faced the heart of the order with Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Trey Turner. He was able to get through that fine, and then... At 4-2, bottom nine, Seth Lugo comes in. I thought, ah, all right, Buck, we see what you're doing here. But what does he do? He gives up the home run to Will Smith and then a hit to Eddie Alvarez as he gets the game-tying hit. Lugo got into some trouble there in that ninth inning, blew the save, and now you're thinking, oh, geez, if the Mets lose this game, this will be an ultimate gut punch. But as it was with the Ghost Runner, which I can't stand there, and hopefully they get rid of that after this year, or if you're going to put in the Ghost Runner at second, start it in the 12th inning, not in the 10th or the 11th. So, J.D. Davis gets the big hit. I know you had a little bit of a misplay by Chris Taylor in left field to where Alonzo scores. And then, of all people, Adonis Medina has to come in to seal the deal, gets in a little trouble himself, but was able to stave off any type of threat as he gets Will Smith there to close out the game. They get the back two. After losing the first two, they got a 9-4 victory where Walker Bueller started and Bueller got himself into some trouble. He was spotted a 4-1 lead in the third inning, but was squeezed there a little bit on Saturday night to where Alonzo took him out of the game where they had a 5-4 lead and then they went going away. Alonzo had a three-run homer there late as they win 9-4 and now they go down the coast to play the aforementioned Padres for three games before going to Anaheim and let's see if the Mets could put them out in their misery come next weekend. But very good test for the Mets as they were able to salvage a split of the four games there at Chavez Ravine. And also the Red Sox. I got to give it up to them. Red Sox have played very well. Remember, they were awful. And it looked like they were going to be out to sea here. But they remedied quickly with a series that they had to go out to the West Coast. And in fact, they're going to play the Angels here starting tonight. I believe for three games, I got to take a look at that, but they sweep the A's, they got a win against the Reds in that two-game series in Boston there on Wednesday, and now they've righted the ship to the point where they're at 500, and you got to wonder whether or not that the Red Sox will be heard from here in the American League. I don't know about the division, that may be a little bit too soon, but with a wild card, and even though it's June 6th, I get it, it's still early, but they're... 12 games behind the Yankees, and even though they've only played one series against the Yankees themselves, but that is just a huge deficit to make up. And for those who could say, well, Jay Reels, what about the Braves? They're still eight in a loss. It's still a long way to go, even with all those games that they have to play against one another. But the Braves won a World Series last year, so you got to give them that. Granted that the Red Sox did make it to an ALCS and lost to the Astros a year ago. But at least it makes it interesting knowing that the Red Sox have gotten themselves in the mix here. Tampa, who lost a couple of games here over the weekend to the White Sox. The Central, I know you have the Guardians ahead of the White Sox, but you think that's going to flip at some point. You don't think the Guardians are going to be part of the mix, even with Terry Francona as your manager. So the American League got a little bit interesting there, even with the Angels, I think, falling out of it. But you have the Red Sox, and that's, I would think, a good swap for baseball. Even though Trout, I get it, you want to have one of your best players in baseball be a part of a pennant race and 
I know I've buried them right now, but I'm just down on them. And it's just a shame how they've gotten off to this great start and now to lose 15 of 18, just terrible. Uh, inexcusable, even. And then in the National League, we talked about what's happening there, not only in the NL East, but of course with the Central, the Braves, excuse me, the Brewers and Cardinals. And then out West, even with the Padres, getting themselves a little bit closer to the Dodgers in the West. So a little bit of intrigue here this past week with a lot going on with the baseball. And it's good because baseball is going to have to carry us throughout the summer because we're already two games into an NBA final. We're getting close to a Stanley Cup final. And yes, even though you have the U.S. Open in golf, which will be a week from this coming Thursday, you have Wimbledon later on in the month. But pretty much once the fall and winter sports have completed... It's going to be baseball carrying you through July, August, and into the early part of September before the NFL season kicks off as well as college football. So that's what we have there. A couple other things before we say goodbye. It was a complete thud and super anticlimactic as we went into the weekend at Roland Garros. Understandably so when you have Iga Swiatek, who is your number one women's player by far. Her consecutive winning streak is now at 35 matches as she blitzed through Coco Goff. And Goff is a great story. She made it to a final for the first time in her young career. Hopefully she could carry this into Wimbledon to maybe she could get back to a final and maybe win. But Switek, she is right now a machine. She is a buzzsaw at the moment. So Goff, I get it. That was going to be a tall order for her to beat Switek. She is obviously going to be the favorite at Wimbledon. And now we have to take a look at her possibly winning Wimbledon because she won the Australian. She's now won the French. She is now halfway at the point of winning a calendar Grand Slam, which obviously has not been done in quite some time. Off the top of my head, I'd have to say Steffi Graf was the last one to do so. We know on the men's side it was Rod Laver and Novak Djokovic had a chance to do that last year, but of course lost in the U.S. Open final. But this is something that, again... Only a small part of the world is going to pay attention to, but Switek on top of her game, unbeatable, and knowing that she has the first two Grand Slams in her back pocket for 2022, I'm sure she's going to be laser-focused just in a few weeks to compete in a Wimbledon, which she will likely come away victorious unless the Angelique Kerbers of the world or even Naomi Osaka, if she's going to participate That remains to be seen, but she is certainly flying high right now, winning these first two tournaments here as far as Grand Slams go. And on the men's side, once Rafael Nadal beat Novak Djokovic, and on top of that, Carlos Alcaraz, which would have been the semifinal, when he lost, you just knew that it was going to be a red carpet to a final because you had Daniel Medvedev lose, you had Alexander Zverev, who played in the semifinal against Rafael Nadal, and it looked like it had five hours written all over it considering the way the first round, or I should say the first set went, where it went to Nadal, 7-6, but it was a lengthy first set, and it looked like it was going to be a carbon copy in the second set, but Zverev had to retire due to an ankle injury, and as it was reported, actually tore ligaments in that ankle, so who knows if Zverev is going to be able to participate in the Wimbledon, as a matter of fact, off the top of my head, he probably won't participate. So with him being out of the tournament there, having to retire, that pretty much had Rafael Nadal rested, ready to go. He didn't have to 
go through a five-hour-plus marathon with Zverev. And as it was, he went up against Kasper Ruud, and he disposed of him in three sets, including the third set at 6-love. And Rafael Nadal, 14th French Open, on top of him extending his all-time men's Grand Slam winning streak. Well, not winning streak, but wins to 22 overall. What more can you say about Rafa? Does he have anything left in the tank for Wimbledon? I'm sure he's going to rest up. Remember, he wasn't at Wimbledon last year. Of course, there wasn't Wimbledon in 2020 due to the pandemic. I would think he'd want to be chomping at the bit to give it a go. But I'm sure he's going to rest up. And he even had to get his foot numbed. He had to get a shot, the left foot, because of how much it was barking. And could you imagine if he had an epic five-hour-plus match with Zverev there on Friday, what that would have meant for him yesterday. I think he still would have won. No offense to Casper Ruud, but it's not as if he was going up against a prime Roger Federer or even Novak Djokovic in a final. So congratulations to both Switek and Rafael Nadal for winning their tournaments. And of course, Nadal extending his Grand Slam total to 22 and 14 overall at the French. And then finally, you had some retirements in the NFL over the past week. Quite a few, in fact. I believe four off the top of my head. I'll start off with Frank Gore. He's a guy that we all know, and today's not the day to talk about Hall of Fame or not. We know he's the, I believe he's what, fourth all-time leading rusher, maybe even third by now, behind Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton. We know he had a long career, a lot of thousand-yard seasons, but again, I won't go down that Hall of Fame rabbit hole at the moment, but Gore, give it up to him. Remember, he had suffered a brutal knee injury, not only at the University of Miami, but even during one of his years with San Francisco. But for him to last as long as he did, and yes, he did hang on toward the end, playing in Buffalo and for the Jets. We understand. Also, the Dolphins there late. But give it up to him as he retires and goes off into the sunset. Who knows if he's going to be a boxer or mixed martial arts. We saw that there when he fought against Darren Williams a couple of months back. And Williams won that match, so who knows if that's something he's going to continue to pursue. So congratulations to him. Also, longtime center Alex Mack. Cleveland Browns, just recently with the San Francisco 49ers, of course the Atlanta Falcons, 13 years, it was time for him to say goodbye. As he leaves the game, you also want to throw in Stephon Tuitt, the former Steeler, eight years, suffered a lot of injuries over the last few years, although two years ago he got 11 sacks in 2020, but he missed a lot of last year, and it's time for him to hang it up, so... He also retires. And not much there on the football front lines. We know OTAs, I believe, just completed last week. So you're going to have a quiet period before we lead into training camp, which, when you think about it, is about six weeks from this time, maybe seven weeks. I am not looking forward to football. Football is the last sport I look forward to. When it comes to the baseball, obviously, yes. NBA Even NHL, because it's October and it's a big month, I'll say yes. NFL, that is one sport that I could certainly wait on. And I'll talk about that more as we get closer to training camp, etc., etc. Summer hasn't even started. And you want to talk football? I digress. That's just one of your hints as to why I don't want football or certainly not looking forward to it at this stage of the calendar year. Let's get to it. My hero and zero of the week to wrap up. My hero of the week to talk about one of those retirees in the NFL, is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why him, J-Reels? 
Well, the guy played on nine teams, 17 years, and he came out of an Ivy League school to boot. It's not as if he came out of the SEC or he came out of the Big Ten. No, he didn't come from a big school like that. He came out of Harvard. Started off his career with the Rams and then bounced around everywhere from Tennessee to Buffalo, Cincinnati, the Jets, Tampa, the Dolphins, just recently the Washington football team. And we know the nickname Fitzmagic. And granted, he had a decorated career because he played on nine teams. I believe he's the only player in NFL history to throw a touchdown pass for nine different NFL teams, which is one thing that he can hang his hat on. But it also shows the long career that he had. For a guy that was a seventh-round pick back in 2005. And granted, he's not going to sniff the Hall of Fame by any stretch of the imagination, but for him to play as long as he did, and yes, did have his moments in the league, I get it that he had more tough moments there, especially if you're a Jet fan. The game in Buffalo with the three interceptions there, that would have put them into the postseason. And yes, he was a guy that in Tampa had 400-yard passing games in the first two weeks of the season, the whole Fitzmagic moniker, etc. But he was a character, had the long beard, and you last saw him in Buffalo for the division round. I believe not the first game against the Patriots. He may have even been there now that I think about it. But sitting in the stands without a shirt, the character that he is, even in the postgame with the shades and the Hawaiian shirts, etc. Ryan Fitzpatrick, my guy. Kudos to a long and very good career. You are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Minnesota Twins and future Hall of Famer this coming summer, Jim Cott, for his comments as he referenced Nestor Cortez as Nestor the Molester this past week. And that's not only his first time he had an offensive remark, this is the second time, in a game against the Tigers last week where Chris Archer struck out Miguel Cabrera, Cott began to explain Cortez and how he's become one of his favorite pitchers watching him throughout the course of this year. And because of his angles and different speeds, for whatever reason, he decided to call him Nestor the Molester. Now, obviously, the president of communications, the front office, had spoken with Cott and he profusely apologized not only to the Twins, not only to Nestor Cortez, which I believe he picked up the phone and actually contacted him, I guess not only to show him praise, but also to apologize that he meant no harm or no ill will. And Cott, we know he's a class guy, great broadcaster. He's 83 years of age and still sharp as attack. But knowing that this is his second go around with this, and obviously in this climate, can't say certain things, and obviously a word like that is going to be flagged by anybody. So Jim Cott, sorry my guy, you are my zero of the week. That'll do it. I'll be back later in the week, as you well know, with a Thursday podcast. Obviously talk about Game 3, the Stanley Cup semifinals I get into, whatever's happening in baseball, etc. I appreciate each and every one of you guys and gals for tuning in, whether you listen on Spotify or you download on Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you get your podcast. I gratefully appreciate it. You know that. I do not take your participation for granted. And if you could do so, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast just to increase the visibility. Just like I said from the outset at the top of this show, 
to have people who are not familiar with this podcast to recognize that, hey, Jay Reels, who is this guy? Oh, he talks sports? What does he talk about? Oh, all right. He's gotten some decent reviews. Throw me a few stars. Write a review again. I would sincerely appreciate that. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. And the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this podcast, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, it's going to go 100% to the production of this podcast, whether it's the upkeep of the website, which I'm planning to tweak in the weeks to come. The equipment, anything and everything that has to do with this experience as you listen to me, whether through your earbuds or speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. Sports has been my life pretty much since they've come out of the womb. I love to dissect it, analyze my thoughts, opinions, analysis, each and every week, twice a week, on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>